We're going to stand one more time. I had you sit down. I'm going to have you stand one more time. Uh, we're going to read God's word together today. Let's read this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Everybody nice and loud with me. Oh, there's a chainsaw on stage. I wonder what that's for. Here we go. Uh, ready? Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress and keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. So this is a packed section of this letter that Paul has written Timothy. He just does a bunch of one-offs, instruction after instruction after instruction. And they come at the uh, end of a, a, a longer portion of the, of the letter, where Timothy has been getting more instruction. It's no wonder that Timothy uh, is, is the recipient of instruction. He needs it. Uh, picture yourself hanging out with a guy who comes to your town and says, hey, you know what? Uh, I see that God has gifted you to, to lead in his church. Come and follow me. And, and you start following him around the Mediterranean, and, and you go to different places and see amazing things happen. But you also see this guy uh, have rocks thrown at him. And uh, you see him chased out of towns. And you're wondering if this is the life that maybe you want uh, you end up in a place uh, called Ephesus. You're there for a couple years as uh, the, the needle goes up and down, back and forth, as far as people liking Jesus and, and those who follow him and people not liking him. There's, uh, you know, riots in the streets. Read Acts chapters 19, 20, and 21. I mean, it, Ephesus was uh, a cauldron uh, bubbling over in its religious pursuits, those for Christ and those against well, one day, Paul, this guy, Paul, imagine you're Tim, and, and Paul comes to you and he says, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, you're in charge. And he leaves you with the keys to the church. There was no votes. There was no uh, auditions. There was no vetting by the elder board. Paul just says, God says so, you're in. And so without maybe the support of your people, you start running a church. You've never done it before. You don't know what you're doing. No wonder Paul writes Timothy a couple times that we know of, probably others in addition. It's because Tim was learning as he goes. He was building the plane as he was flying. Heard that one? He was trying to figure this out. Lots of life is like that, right? Let's, let's get a few things in, in, in place here as we talk about mission orders. Life is kind of a series of agendas. Can we agree with that? There's like lists that you got to get through. Like this morning, this apparently was on your list. Come to church. Check. Right? I don't know what you got going on with the rest of the day, but you're going to go on to the next things. And then this week, you got probably a whole series of stuff that you got to do. Kids stuff, if you got kids in your house, or work stuff, if you got your jobs that you got to do. Maybe you got to travel, maybe you got this or that. But we all live by a list. We all live according to what's next in our agendas. Sometimes uh, those agendas present us with things that we know how to do, which is great. Isn't it great when you get to do something that you've done before? It's just easier that way. Would you agree? Like yesterday I woke up, here's my list yesterday, go help uh, this one family that's in our church who needs some lawn work done, go help there with the guys in your life group, some other folks who were gracious enough to give their Saturday morning, and uh, you know, just get, get the house ready for sale. That's what we did yesterday. So I did that in the morning, then I came here, and I uh, worked on the sermon uh, that I'm preaching to you now, 
And uh, I've done that, you know, tons of times. And then last night, I went and did a wedding. Last, I wasn't here last night at Saturday church. I had John Weaver preach. He did a great job. But uh, I wasn't here because every once in a while, I get to do a wedding. And last night, I did a wedding over in uh, uh, Curtis Hickson Park at the uh, amphitheater there right by the river. It was very nice. Lots of loud boat music, though. It's, I'd never had that one before in my wedding. Lots of boats coming up the river like, Despacito. Anyway, um, <laughs> which is kind of weird in a wedding, you know. It's, uh, oh, okay. Well. <clears throat> but... Uh, I uh, got to do that, and listen, I've done, I think I'm over 200 weddings now. Uh, the wedding thing wasn't a problem. I've, I've preached for 13 years, and I still, I'm, I preach scared every week because I, I don't want to mess this up, but, but it's getting easier the more I do this, preparing for those things. And then yard work, who hasn't done yard work? I mean, come on, you're out there ripping out things and pulling stuff, and uh, those things were all easy because I'd done them before. But, but here's, here's where Timothy and Paul and all this stuff comes in. A lot of times we're called to do things that we just don't know anything about. Like these parents who are just on our stage. Who remembers parents in here? Who remembers bringing that first baby home? Are you kidding me? We, we drove in our car to that building, two of us, and we came out three. And that, that you know, our, ours was Ben. Ben's not going anywhere. I mean, we painted the room. We, you know, I, I've managed to get the crib together. I hope it doesn't kill him. You know, but, but he's going to lay in that every night. And, and we're going to have to, because listen, you can read what to expect when you're expecting or what to expect in your first year. You can read every book you want. It all goes out the window first night. Because you're like, oh my, I don't have, what, how, what, who, where, mom, you know, and you're just doing, you're doing whatever you can do. Who, parents, who, whoever stood in your kid's room just to make sure he was breathing. Has anybody ever done that? Come on, because you're like, this, this is ours, this one's ours. We can't mess this one up, and then we do. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you get things in life that are on your to-do list, you don't know how to do it. And, and that was Timothy. He was a pastor of a church and didn't know how to do it. He'd, he'd, he'd read through this letter, you know, he's probably the first to read, and he gets to this part in chapter 4, we read it earlier, verse 11, uh, command and teach these things. Uh, Paul is, is basically summarizing what he's been saying here in chapter 4. He's, he opened chapter 4 saying, hey, man, there's going to be tons of people in the end times who are going to leave the faith. They're going to leave because they get you know, pulled away in all kinds of directions. They're going to believe all these stupid things. It's your job, Tim, to make sure that the stupid things don't lead them away. Preach the truth. Command and teach these things. Now, he's, he, he says that in the context about those things in chapter four, and you can read those, but, but he says it about everything that he said. I mean, he opens the, the, the letter with telling Timothy to first of all stay. Don't leave, Tim. You gotta stay. Stick around. Stick around, and then, and then he, he launches off on some of the false teachers in, in that opening of the letter. He, he goes on, and he, in chapter two, he talks about, uh, hey, Tim, you, you, here's how you do church. Here's how you should pray at church, and here's who should teach at church. He goes to chapter three, and he says, hey, Tim, here's who's got to lead in church, and he talks about elders and deacons. He gives them all these instructions, Then he summarizes here in chapter four, verse 11. He says, hey, man, come in and teach these things. Go do it. It's like he's had a timeout with a with a teammate or a, or a player, he's the coach, and he's grabbed the face mask of this football player, and he says, okay, here's where the play we're gonna run. Now get out there, smack, and he runs them out there. And, and if you ever played a sport, you're like, I don't know what he just said, and I'm coming out here to run a play, I don't know how to play, and, and that's how Tim's gotta feel. Tim's probably uh, wondering about the how-to on his to-do. How do I do this? That's what I think the next verses are all about. They're the behind-the-scenes measures that Tim has to continue, has to 
implement in his life, if he's going to be able to be successful in all the other things that Paul has called him to. Listen, this is why this is such a packed portion of this book. It's because these are our mission orders. These are the orders behind our orders. Whatever unique things that God has called you to do in your life, in your families, in the worlds that he's given you, there's some basics, some fundamentals that need to be in place for you to be able to accomplish his to-do this is the how-to for you to do in your mission orders. Five things, and we'll just try to run through them as quickly as we can. Let nothing impede your lead is the first thing that we see Paul saying to Timothy. Let nothing impede your lead. I know it's not, it just rhymes. I liked it, okay? Let nothing impede your lead. It says there in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct and love and faith and impurity. 412, that's actually, if you've been around here long enough, it's a, it's a name of a ministry we used to have here that was for our college and career age uh, people, and, and it was aptly named uh, for this verse because the opening lines are, hey, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. They're, they were the young people of our church. Instead, be an example. What, what a great thing to call it. Uh, interesting, though, that those, those kids at our church were between 18 and you know, 20-something. Uh, Tim's probably like 35. The, our best guess is that he met Paul as a teenager or just turning 20, and so he's been hanging out with him for now 15 or so years. So he's probably in his mid-30s. He's not a young guy, but he's younger than someone. Anybody ever uh, had that person at work who's been doing it just a little bit longer than you, and they like to just tell you how it's supposed to be done because you don't know what you're doing because you haven't done it as long as me? Now, there's probably people in uh, Timothy's church who had that mentality. Probably some who had wanted the job and had been passed over as the apostle had picked Tim um, we know from other parts of the letters that Paul wrote Timothy that he was prone to fear. And Paul's almost saying to him, hey, buddy, don't let your fear, don't let the fact that you're younger than some, don't, don't let the fact that, that maybe some people are more steeped in, in, in their thinking because uh, they've been around longer keep you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. This isn't just a, a, a warning for us about age. It's a warning for us to make sure that we don't let any other roadblocks in our lives stayed in the way of us doing what God has called us to do. All kinds of roadblocks are mentioned in the scripture. Tim's is his age, uh, but you go to Moses. Uh, Moses had a felony record. He was a murderer. Uh, he had a speech impediment. And so when God called him and said, hey, go get my, ki- uh, my kids out of Egypt, he had all kinds of reasons why this wasn't going to work. And he had to get over those roadblocks to accomplish God's purpose for his life. You go later on in the Bible to the book of Judges, a guy named Gideon He's the one who puts all the Bibles in the hotels. Uh, he was actually this nobody. And he's just, uh, we find him uh, as he comes on the scene in the Bible, he's, he's actually hiding in a wine press, threshing grain. It's not what a wine press is for, but he's so afraid. He wants to do whatever he needs to do to make some bread for his family uh, in a hole so that no one else can see him. That's how afraid this guy is. And the messenger of God comes to Gideon and he says, hey, God wants you to be the general of his army. And Gideon's like, are you kidding? I'm the biggest loser from the biggest loser family and the biggest loser clan in all of Israel. You got the wrong number. And God's messenger says, no, you're perfect. And Gideon had to get over his self-esteem issues to be used by God. How about Paul? Talk about a murderer. I mean, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he just walked around looking for any Christians he could find to put them in prison. He stood by and he watched as one of the first martyrs recorded in Scripture was stoned to death, a guy named Stephen, Acts chapter 8. 
He held the coats of the guys who were throwing the rocks. I mean, he was public enemy number one until he met Jesus. Bright light, you're on my team now, and you're going to end up leading the whole thing? How about it? Think Paul faced uh, opposition from both sides? He did, rocking a hard place. People that he left, the Judaizers, those who hated the Christians, they hated him now. People that he went to didn't trust him. That's a pretty significant pile on to get through. What about Jesus? Came from the wrong town. Has anything ever good come from Nazareth? That's what his followers asked. He's like 12. One of the guys in the 12 wondered that at the beginning. He goes back to Nazareth uh, one day. He reads a, a scroll that indicates who the Messiah is from the book of Isaiah. And uh, he says, that's me. And even his own townspeople were so offended that they were going to put hands on him and harm him. Of course, he was reviled by his people to the point that they nailed him to a cross, all according to God's plan. But you think Jesus had some significant hurdles, roadblocks to climb? Yeah. As you and I follow Jesus Christ, there's going to be all kinds of things. There's going to be headlines that make us fearful. There's going to be um, issues that arise in our homes that, that make us discouraged. There's going to be uh, limitations that we sense to the left and to the right and ahead of us. But Paul's instruction to Timothy is Paul's instruction to us. Get past your roadblocks. Don't let anyone hold you back in your pursuit of the things that God has called you to do. Instead, he says, be an example. Seek to be an example in these things. Get over your roadblocks so you can show people what it's like to honor me with your speech. That means uh, have timely, efficient words. Timely because you say the right thing at the right time. Efficient because you don't say too much. Anybody ever got in trouble by saying too much? You get that diarrhea of the mouth going and you just can't shut it off? Yeah. The Bible uh, says, actually, in a letter that Paul wrote to Tim's church, a letter to the Ephesians, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Just use this for good. Use this to glorify God. All the things that edify and encourage, let that flow. But don't waste time saying things that are going to bring anything but the righteousness of God. I was out there yesterday with these guys uh, helping at this uh, family's home, and uh, we were clearing out the front bed so we could put some mulch down. Uh, I hate this about yards. They just grow. They just keep growing. And you can put all the blocks you want up, but they're going to grow into the places you don't want them to grow. It's their nature. They want to take over this grass stuff. And so in this one particular part, there was all this grass that had just blown right past the, the black ribbing or the black whatever stuff that's supposed to keep it out, and it had just grown right in underneath the trees. And we had, that, that was the hardest part of, of my you know, portion of doing this stuff is I had to get down on hands and knees and just rip all this stuff out. And that's kind of the hard part sometimes about our speech is that, you know, troubling stuff, uh, unuseful stuff slips into the things that we say. Uh, we get kind of lazy and flippant, and uh, we got to get in there and pull the weeds, make sure the things that aren't supposed to be there in our communication with our, our spouses or in our uh, uh, posts on Facebook. Uh, we, need, we need to be careful of that stuff. We need to be examples in our speech 
have our words glorify God. We need to be examples in our actions. Our lives have to match up with words. You can't talk the talk without walking the walk. He says uh, you need to be examples in, in your love, in your affection. I think of love as being kind of the salt and pepper, the, the seasoning of everything that we do, words and deeds. If, if you say something, say it in love. If you do something, do it because of love. Instead of letting your fears and roadblocks hold you back, be an examples. Be an example of uh, someone who honors God in speech and words and love. Be an example of someone who honors God in the faith. This is uh, knowing why we say and do the things that we say and do. Our actions and our words, they stem from this, this inner core belief of us. We, we, uh, we are ultimately going to produce whatever's in here, out here. Like James says in James chapter 3, can a fig tree? I've got to make sure I get it right. I don't want to mess up my fruits. Oh, here we go. Can a fig tree produce olives? Uh, can a grape, grapevine produce figs? Can a salt pond bring forth fresh water? What, what's the answer to all those questions? No, they're going to produce whatever they're going to produce. Whatever's in the stick, whatever's on the vine, whatever's in the, in the source of the water, it's going to be what it produces. And so whatever's in here, that's why faith is so important and why bolstering our faith and growing in our faith is so important because when push comes to shove, whatever's in here comes out here and comes out here. He goes on, he says, be an example in purity. Have as your motivation the, the, the righteousness of God, the glorifying of, of, a, of a holy and pure God. And I, I tell you this all the time, especially when I preach on marriage, you, you don't love your husband or your wife first, you love God first, and then from that love, from that seeking to honor God in your own life with him, then you love your husband or your wife. Because if you ever take him out of the mix, you're gonna love someone who's not gonna inspire you to love them that much all the time. Because they're going to have bad days. I'm not saying that you're you know, married to an unlovable, unlovable person. I pray that's not the case. But they're going to have bad days. Now, here's the, here's the good news. God's never not unlovable. He is agape love. He is unconditional love. He loves you without condition, without fail, uh, without stopping. And so if you seek to honor him, you'll never be discouraged in loving and honoring your spouse. And so that's why Paul says to Tim, hey, man, be an example in purity. Be not just an example in pure actions, and pure, but in pure motives, in, in wanting to honor God as you seek to honor him in your life. I mean, that could be the whole sermon right there, but I'd like to preach a few more verses if it's okay with everybody. My question to you as we move on is, is there anything impeding your lead? Is there anything uh, that's getting in the way of you being all that you could be in this life that Christ has called you to? Could be you know a sin issue, an area that's holding you back. Could be fear, whatever yours is. Tim's was age, fear, whatever yours is. Uh, can we get past our favorite excuse for not being who Christ has called us to be? Can we get on to uh, setting an example for Him instead in the lives that He's given us? That's what Paul wanted Timothy to do. If you want to do all the other things I've called you to do, Timothy, just make sure you get past your roadblocks and you focus in on living this life for me. The second thing we see there is we need to stay anchored in the word. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. We need to be people of the book. Paul wanted Tim to be rooted in the Old Testament scriptures and also in these letters that were being circulated and the teachings that he had shared with him uh, uh, verbally uh, that the apostles had uh, told him. He says, listen, man, let those words be the guide for everything that you do, especially in a church where there's so much false teaching going on. You know, endless myths and genealogies, all these things, 
Uh, we we got to combat those with, with our truth, and you got to know our truth to be able to understand what it isn't and be able to confront those who are not teaching it. Now, I find this interesting. It says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Uh, that's the hearing of God's Word. To the exhortation of Scripture. That's the preaching of God's Word. To the teaching of Scripture. All of these things are necessary for us to truly grasp what God's Word said. So we gotta, we got to be uh, receivers of it. we gotta, we got to read it ourselves when we're by ourselves. we got to listen it, to it, uh, be read uh, in, in church uh, ex- experiences like this. We, we need to soak in as much of the Word as we can. We need to be preached to about the Word. How's it going? It's good to have you here this morning. Uh, we need to be taught the word, so in life groups and all those things, that because we need to immerse ourselves in the word so that we know the word so that we can know what truth is not and be able to identify it. But go, go a step further. You need to be readers of the word to other people. Got a family? When was the last time you sat down and just read the word together? It's a great use of your time. Turn off Netflix and everything else. Uh, in our family growing up, uh, uh, Dad would uh, open up the Bible every morning before he we went to school. Such a pain, especially for me as a little kid. I was like, i got to get to school, Dad. But every day, I'd sit on his lap and smell his coffee breath as he read another portion of the Scripture. Um, it needs to be something that's in our lives. It needs, needs to be something. Listen, did you know that you know something better if you could teach it to someone else? That's been like, uh, scientifically proven. If you can play, explain something to someone else, you know it better than you did before you explained it to them. If you can't explain something to someone else, you don't know it. You don't know it well yourself. And so it behooves us, even if we aren't in positions to teach or you know, we have the, the, the title teacher, it, it, it is on us to take whatever we're learning in our times with the word, in our times of understanding what God says, and be able to share it with someone else because that's when it really sticks. We need to be ready to preach God's word. Somebody's like, I'm not a preacher. Here's what that means. The word he uses is exhortation. When we see something that isn't lined up with God's word, we need to be willing to say something. See something, say something. If you see it in a fellow believer's life that this is not how it's supposed to be going, and you know that God's word says this about whatever's happening in their lives, then you need to, in love, not blowing them up, but in love, say, hey, wait a minute. That's not what God's word says. And we need to head this way instead of that way. We need to be readers of God's word. We need to be teachers of God's word. We need to be defenders of the principles in God's word. I, uh, when I bought my house, bought a t- chainsaw. I'm not going to start it. Everybody calm down. I bought a chainsaw. I'd never owned one of these. I'd never used one of these. I thought it would be simple. But then uh, after reading the instructions, I couldn't even get this thing started. So I went on YouTube, God bless YouTube, and I saw just some rudimentary, here's how you use a chainsaw stuff. So I went out and used it. I, I tried to cut down my first tree, and I kept getting the blade stuck in the stump of the tree. Uh, that's really bad. Everybody, some of the guys are like, ooh, you're a moron. I was. I didn't know what I was doing. So I learned that you have to notch a tree before you cut a tree down. And uh, after a while... Uh, I was probably cutting trees down that didn't need to be cut down because it got so funny. I knew what I was doing, <laughs> right? And so I started talking to people, you know, alone in my chainsaw out. I just loaned this out to a guy in our church uh, who had some storm damage from Irma, 
And I said, all right, here's the deal. And I, and I did all of these things that Paul's telling Timothy to do with word. Hey, man, uh, here's how it works. I, I learned from reading the uh, manuals and going to YouTube, but you should go to those two, and here's all the places you can go to. And then, you know, here's the, the most important thing is the notch thing. You've got to do the notch thing. You're going to cut down a big tree. You don't want to get your blade stuck in there, so you've got to do the notch. And, then, and, and I, so I was, I was uh, imploring and teaching, and then I gave the warnings. I said, listen, dude. If that thing starts kicking, get out of there. You gotta, you're you're going to slice your face off. And, and, you know, all those kinds of things. And uh, uh, it, it's just exactly how we're supposed to do this life that we live in the Word. Are we in the Word? Are we teaching what we know from it to others? Are we ready to preach, which is to warn people and uh, to inspire people as God leads us? How about this one? The next one is this, stay in the game. Stay in the game. Paul says to Timothy, hey, don't, don't neglect this gift you have. Uh, which was given to you uh, by the prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. It's uh, 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 understood that as, as Timothy was kind of going around, in fact, if you read the, the next letter that Timothy gets, uh, Paul talks about uh, how he met his mother and his grandmother and that he comes from good stock and that when he met them, uh, the elders in this church that Paul was a part of Timothy, uh, Timothy's life in, uh, they, they put their hands on him. They, they, they gave him his calling to ministry. And so Timothy had kind of gotten, you know, the, 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 the top line of his to-do list. Go and serve God in ministry with Paul as he directs. But Paul, as we saw this letter open, was saying, hey, Tim, you got to stay. And here in the later part of the letter, he says, Tim, you can't neglect this gift, this calling that you've been given. You've got, you got you to stick with it. You've got to stay in the game. The implication there is that uh, we can easily neglect what God's called us to. Who's been there? Anybody sensed the call of God and been like, no, no thanks. I'm good. I'm doing great over here. Just kind of do this, this smaller portion of what I think is following you, but, but the bigger things that you've called me to, that seems too costly or too dangerous or too whatever. I'm just not going to do that. Or maybe we even started and we got discouraged in, in whatever we sensed God called us to and leading a life group or in doing this or doing that, and it didn't work out like we thought, and so we're like, okay, I tried, see ya. We just tap out. I'll encourage you with the words that Paul uh, used to encourage Timothy in his next letter to him. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Uh, he says, uh, for we were not given, verse 7, uh, maybe it's not there, uh, we were not given a spirit of timidity, uh, but a spirit of power and love of self-control. He's basically saying, listen, man, you've got to spend your life fanning your gift into flame. I have a, a fire pit in my backyard one of my favorite parts of our house, especially when it gets cold enough to have one, which is like three nights a year. But uh, uh, <clears throat> when it's finally cold enough out there, we love to stack up the logs, and I bring my guitar out, and, and our kids especially love to have their friends out there. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll light the fire. Sometimes the, the wood, though, is, is either not uh, you know, as good as it could be or wet, and so it's harder. So I bring out uh, the, the first line of defense is the can of lighter fluid. I just wear it out. And I just, you know, put as much of that on there. I used gas once, and I'm going to recommend you not do that. That's not a good thing. <laughs> That's another story for another time. But, uh, but even then, what I've figured out, the best way to do this is to take one of the cardboard boxes that you would use to start a fire, hold it to the side. Because once you get that sucker going, this is your job. I usually make someone else do it. <laughs> but this is how you get a fire going. It's not down there with the wood and the squirty squirt. It's this. It needs oxygen. It needs someone to blow it to life. You know, I, uh, I have people in my life who act as fans. 
it's kind of interesting that we use the word fans for sports and all that stuff because it's kind of this cross-meaning. Fans uh, of sports are, are, are fans who actually encourage the team or even help the team. I was watching the Miami, um, who did they play? Notre Dame game last night, and, and uh, uh, Miami won. Who cares? But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but the, the crowd was so loud down in Miami that the, the Notre Dame team couldn't even run their play. They got a penalty for, offside, or for, for false start because uh, they couldn't even hear the count. And, and when the fans affect the game, that, that's what you want. You want fans in your life who can fan your flame back into fire, who can affect your game in following Jesus Christ. You got any fans that do that for you? You got anybody who is, is that kind of fire starter in your life? I, uh, usually when people ask me about my calling for ministry, I say I never really got one. I'm going to amend that story because uh, as a high school senior, I got a letter from my mom. This is back before emails and texts. And so it took like a week for this letter to come to where I was living in Maine. Uh, my parents lived in Illinois. It's a long story, but I wasn't living with them my senior year. And uh, I was living like a madman. Just, uh, in fact, I, I opened this letter on a Saturday morning after partying uh, pretty hard Friday night. And so uh, with the headache that comes from that, I opened this letter from my mom. And I wish I'd kept it. Uh, I don't know where it is. But uh, in that letter, my mom detailed for me her love for me, which was awesome. Uh, but then uh, she, she shared with me her vision for my life. And she said, Mark, here's the deal. You're 2,000 miles away from me, or whatever it was. But uh, uh, I have no idea what's going on with your day-to-day. But, but here's, I've been praying, and here's what I sense God wants for your life. And she detailed these things for me. First of all, I think you're supposed to go to a, a place called Moody Bible Institute next year. It's where your sister goes. Uh, and, and I think that's where you're supposed to start your college career. Laughed at that one pretty hard. And then the next thing she said is that I, I think you should go there so that someday you can serve God in the ministry as a pastor. I don't know what it's going to look like, but that's just what I sense God is, is calling uh, for your life. And, and I'm hungover, people, as I'm reading this. And I'm like, Mom, if you only knew where I was eight hours ago. But she was right. And here I am. And, and okay, no, no, okay. But do I ever get here, and I, whatever, that's one of those vacuum questions, uh, but do I ever get here without mom writing a letter? Do I ever get here without the uh, many other fans who were in my life uh, that, that got me to the point that I'm at? Listen, think back to your fans. Think back to the people who fanned your flame back into the fire that it was. And listen, if you're, if you're kind of just a little flicker right now, can you today get in contact with some of your fans and let them uh, encourage you? Can you, listen, can you uh, uh, be willing to look in the mirror and be your own fan and stop the insanity of the lies of the roadblocks and everything that's keeping you from experiencing what God has for you in this life? Can you push past that? By the grace of God, say, not my will be done, but yours, like Jesus did. Stay diligent, verse 15, stay diligent. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Uh, practice here kind of goes with, with something that I, uh, I didn't uh, get to last week in the, in the previous verses. He talks uh, in, in uh, verses 7 through 10 about going to the gym. He actually uses the Greek word gymnasio. Uh, he, he basically says, work out your faith. Go to the gym. And he says, listen, if you think you can kind of just turn this, this Jesus thing on and off without being disciplined and, and, and diligent uh, in, in, in the practice of the things that, 
uh, or, or you're calling Christ, you just don't know what following Jesus is about. Our success in following God and his to-dos stems directly from our, our readiness and preparation. You've got to use it or lose it. Anybody ever heard that? I'm getting into the stage of life where that is uh, even more real, more true. You've got you to use your, 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 your body parts uh, you know, or you're going to lose the function of it. You're just going to get all uh, bent over and rigid, and, uh, and, and you just can't, uh, you know, do things like you used to. I was, <laughs> I was working yesterday in this yard, and this, this guy, uh, his name is Bill, and he's, he's, he's military, and he is just in immaculate shape. And we had to carry all these boards out from the backyard to the front yard, these rotten old boards. And so I'm, I'm helping, you know, I'm with another guy, and we're carrying a couple of them. And then Bill comes past me, and he's carrying three by himself, Right? Well, the gauntlet has been thrown down, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be just, you know, taking it easy. So, I, you know, I go back and I try to carry like 12 or something like that. I don't know. Uh, because, you know, guys are stupid. And, and, uh, and so I walked those out there. And, and, I, you know, I did a couple loads like that. But you, I got in my truck after we were done. I was like, oh, man, that was a bad idea. <laughs> oh, I'm like stretching by my steering wheel. And I woke up this morning and I'm like, that was so dumb. And... Uh, my expectation is that Bill's not feeling that this morning at all, because I'm pretty sure Bill, Bill does his PT. He gets all of his physical training in, and you just can't show up at a work site and act like you're in shape when you're not. And you can't show up in the service of your God and act like you're in shape when you're not. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. You know what that word is? It's, uh, it's the word immerse. I don't have a tricky thing for that. Anyway, uh, but it just, make, it just means you're all in. Every part of your life, given over and dedicated to following God and his to-dos. The last one is stay vigilant. It says keep a close watch. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Uh, vigilant. Not just dig- diligent, but vigilant. Because here's the deal. It, look what it says there. It says keep yourself uh, watch on yourself. It's basically the word life. Keep a watch on your life is how it's translated in the NIV and on the teaching. So, so basically, keep a watch on the things you do and keep a watch on the things you know. Keep those things in balance. Talk amongst yourselves. There we go. There's the balance, right? Here's what happens as we close. A lot of times, Christians know a bunch and don't do anything. And so it gets like this. And then a lot of times, Christians don't know anything, but they do a bunch. And both of those formulas are heading uh, into, into a, a, a realm of, of, well, not sticking it out, not, not continuing. Uh, because you, you have to have this balance of knowing and following, of understanding and doing, of of truth and love. There's, there's this, this tension, this, not even tension, it's this glory com, glorious combination of, of knowing and, and being and, and doing that God wants us to live in. And you gotta, keep, you gotta keep close watch at your levels. Who's ever been driving and looked down and you're like, oh, I'm out of gas? Anybody ever run out of gas? Who's run out of gas in here? Was your first thought, I wish I had looked at my levels sooner? just you weren't vigilant. You were just going along thinking this car will run forever. But it didn't. Why? Because you just weren't paying attention. May God keep us from being imbalanced. And in doing this, persisting in this, 
Uh, we'll be able to save both ourselves and our hairs. We, listen, it, this can't be salvation. Paul says all over the place that uh, salvation comes by grace through faith and not of ourselves. So you can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about sanctification. If we persist in doing these behind-the-scene things in our to-do list, if we focus on the how-to of our to-do, listen, what that does is it saves us. Saving, think of that there in, in terms of sanctifying. It takes us deeper. We, we, like it says in other parts of Paul's writings, to work out our salvation with fear and troubling, we go deeper into this working out of our salvation, this developing of what Christ has put in us. We go deeper into that as we focus on our how-to. We help others go deeper into that as they watch us go further into this life that we're living for Christ. Oh, listen, as you go to your next to-dos, as you go to whatever awaits you on your agenda, may you go knowing that apart from Christ you can do nothing, but that with Christ anything is possible. That, that as you go, you'll remember all the things that we talked about today. Get over your roadblocks. Be an example. Uh, just tether yourself to the word. Um, fan into flame the things that have kind of died out and, and turned to a flicker. Now be diligent in exercising your faith. Be vigilant so that you don't become imbalanced. And by God's grace, we'll serve him. Amen? Let's pray. Hey, Lord, thanks so much for a chance to open your word and to see from Paul and Timothy's example that um, all that you've called us to is possible. It's, it's, uh, it's not possible without you. And so, Lord, may we understand that. May we uh, uh, remember uh, to involve you in everything that we do to, to make you the point of everything that we are. How would you lead us, God, uh, to a life surrendered to you uh, so that you can get everything out of us that you desire for us and from us in life uh, so that you get the glory you deserve uh, from those of us uh, that you have given the grace to be saved. We love you, Lord. If there's people here this morning uh, who don't know you, haven't received the grace that is so ready for them, to be saved in, would, they, uh, would you prompt them, God, to come and talk to me or someone else here in this, this church to find out how they can know and follow you? But for all of us who do know you, lead us deeper into you. Uh, reignite us and restore us uh, to, the, to this, uh, this life you've given us, God, this call that you've put on our lives. Uh, and it's in your name that I pray these things, Jesus. Amen.